ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is Cincy Brewcast. I'm the Gnarly Gnome, and we're back. Another week, another episode. Uh, this is another really fun one for me. I've tried to tap, tackle the topic of Cincinnati's beer history on the show a few times, and I feel like every time I do, I like just scratch the surface of it, and at the end of the show, I'm like, look, just, just go grab one of these books, and there's some really great books that have been out there that kind of dive into that. But my favorite one I just read this last week, uh, Michael D. Morgan, thank you, uh, the author of not just the new Cincinnati beer, but also um, the, Over the Rhine. Over the Rhine, when beer, beer was, was king. king. Another fantastic dive into not necessarily just the uh, the the beer itself, but just the neighborhood and what was going on with the city and how it all kind of related together and just just really really great deep dives into it some of those other books kind of scratch the surface the same way that i've done so many times on the show when i try to talk about it so um we're going to talk about cincinnati beer the book um and some of those fun little history nuggets that i learned out of that um andy foltz welcome back to the show not Thank to you for leave me. you just hanging without nope, an introduction good. you're good thanks um, for having bef- me before we dig into this uh, uh Mike Michael D Morgan <laughs> before we dig into this I don't know if you've ever heard the show me. we always start things uh, very simply um, from the beer fridge it's called from the beer fridge because we used to have a studio with a fridge and we would literally just kind of pull beers out and drink them but um, we have to tell everybody what we're drinking and um, I might as well start I grabbed the uh, tray from fretboard that's the amber right tray yes um, nice. I haven't had fretboard in a while since uh, Last time I was out at the tap room, and uh, I'm impressed with what they've been doing. There's a few breweries around town that, when I first kind of heard rumblings of them, I was like, oh, you know, it'll be nice for their neighborhood, and, you know, they probably won't make any waves and do anything major, and that completely blown me away. Um, that whole fretboard scene, I mean, I, the location... I need a Sherpa and a guide dog, but they're making they're making good beers. It's not that far away. <laughs> it is. I mean, you, once you get a bit up, you get like north of Reading Road to me. It's uh, the, it's Coyote Country. I'm scared. Yeah, yeah. We, I thought we determined it was two seventy five. Two seventy five. Anything north of that is wildling territory. But but fretboard has been doing some really good stuff. I know last year when I was at BC's we kept a steady train of fretboard beers on and they all sold really well but i don't think any of them sold quite as well as trey and part of the reason for that is it's a solid red it's not that kind of cloying sweetness that you get from a lot of them I'm thinking it, of some do, bigger it names. doesn't lean too hard either way Correct. i feel like it's not overly malted over hopped or over hopped lately and and so it's a really nice solid balanced beer and like i said the, i know when i was up there we sold a lot of it so it's, uh, it's a good choice. It's it, I'm I'm digging it. I uh, like I said I haven't had it for a while, so it's definitely hitting the spot. Um, what are you drinking? I've got the West Side Common Ale. Another great example of a brewery that when I heard about them, I was like, oh, you know, there were there there was another brewery that was in planning that was supposed to go into that space that kind of fell through, and so then when I heard that they were going to, I was like, oh, great, somebody's just jumping on kind of the what was already kind of being built by this other place, kind of coming in there, and they've blown me away at yeah. what they're doing just some really great traditional stuff my favorite thing they do is they're heffy so what i what i think is fun That's about nice. them is they'll they'll take like these traditional styles that they clearly can do really well and then they'll kind of bastardize them a little bit you know they've got that german irish lager that they do for saint patrick's day that is 
really great it's good german irish lager <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense but it's so good um but again that's probably a little far for you to venture out of the uh <laughs> i do i do go to i do go to west side and it is i mean you, i i do i need uh, blue ash is unknown I need, territory I need but to you're whip willing out to venture passport. to the west side <laughs> it's dangerous over there <laughs> it is dangerous over there i get lost every time it takes it, there's it takes me days to get back it does feel like it takes a long time to get anywhere on that side of town. well it's because it's the only place in the world where three lefts don't make a right <laughs> that's, that's true that i was there are no blocks i was 10 minutes away from something according to gps on the west side and it still took 45 minutes to get there so yeah and over there they go yeah that sounds right yeah. Yeah, this, these guys do though the styles very basic classic styles yes they're doing all of them well so yeah i'm highly impressed by them as well and kicking out a ton of packaging right now too yes yeah uh, it seems like really every, every major thing they make they're putting out in packaging which i appreciate as somebody that it's hard to get out of the house sometimes with the uh, mm-hmm. the wonderful child that I live with not <laughs> not a terrorist I swear um, so getting packaging at the uh, the local store and taking that home makes my life a whole lot easier and Mike that. what are you drinking yours looks a little hoppier than ours does it does it's spring so I gotta get hopped up uh, this is mad tree psychopathy so I'm not getting uh, I'm not getting weird. It's pretty uh, <laughs> it's a pretty standard issue, but uh, this is one of my go tos, especially on a pleasant day. You know, and we should mention we are at the Drinkery, a bar that yeah. I have never been to before. I've oh walked past God. it a thousand wow. times. Um, again, living in the Great Wild North, it's always like I'd come down here for a very specific purpose. So, like, I am going somewhere for something, and then maybe I'll get to tack on one or two places and then have to get back to our end of the world. The drinkery is one of those places that um, I always say, like, there was a period of time. I mean, I ran Bachfest for a decade, mm-hmm. and um, throughout the majority of that, I couldn't buy a beer in Over the Rhine because there were bars that I came into. There weren't a lot of them. And the bars that I came into, like the Drinkery, uh, Jefferson Hall before that, you know, my money wasn't any good because I, I worked hard to make these guys uh, make money. And these days I can't buy a drink and over the Rhine because uh, the bartenders think that I look too old to serve. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> It's, Excuse uh, me, sir. You're picking up your children. <laughs> yes, it's been a very radical and, and unwelcome uh, change for me. <laughs> I um, what I like just in the time that I've spent here is that it's just a bar. Like I feel like every place that seems to be opening up has some kind of gimmick to it. It's some kind of some kind of thing that that is supposed to make it stand out. And this is just like a good, comfortable, mm-hmm. not not a dive bar, but just a good bar to grab a beer i mean i guess pleasantly dirty too, but yeah <laughs> I mean, in, in the right way though like it's you know it's it's just it's 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 more dusty right. let's go with right, that it's right. dusty um let's dive in let's let's talk about this book a little bit when i started reading it um i think it starts right off with what was the first brewery in Cincinnati? Yep. Which is always one of my favorite discussions with people because it seems like everywhere you look online, everybody loves to say that Davis Embry was the first commercial brewer in Cincinnati. And with that, though, sometimes there'll be a side note that says, but maybe it was, it was Dover and, 
And you just come in right off the bat and say, well, that's probably not really true either. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, talk a little bit about that and kind of tell... Um, and even even with with how you worded in here, it's like it could be this, but oh yeah, by the way, over in Newport, yeah, this which is something which, which is, is something that I didn't uh, very self serving now that I live in Newport, but it also happens to be true that the first brewery in Greater Cincinnati was actually in Newport, not far from where the Wooden Cask is now, and that was a guy named James Smith that was brewing in 1798. Uh. I thought he was going to say Randy opened that one, too. <laughs> um, Love you, buddy. It's <laughs> uh, only Randy's beard. Goes back <laughs> Randy's beard is much older than he is somehow. Yeah, that's true. That's probably true. But, uh, yeah, that, that was the very first in the region. But beyond that, I actually spent a great deal of time trying to answer that question conclusively here in Cincinnati because it is something that's bandied about a lot. And the way that I answered it the way that I did, which is that I believe the first brewery was probably started by a guy named Joel Williams around about 1803. But that all comes from land records. Mm -hmm. And those records uh, were not readily available until semi-recently. A lot of great people in the Hamilton County Historic Society made a lot of those records. They digitized a lot of them and made them available, made them searchable, and that allowed me, um, especially as somebody who has a background in real estate law and an understanding of how to dig through a lot of boring real estate nonsense, um, gave me the ability to really kind of write a new version of, of the first breweries. Well, and you, you talked a little bit about, you know, especially after after that very beginning when people start kind of spreading around the area a little bit and forming their own little pockets here and there a lot of those records weren't kept so somewhere that is definitely cincinnati now which i mean newport it, come on it's all it's it's right there so it's great um, i call it cincinnati. <laughs> so you know when you start talking about some of these little outer neighborhoods like there were probably brewers happening out there too that we don't necessarily know about because those records weren't kept the same way right, as in right. the city you know and it's it becomes a very complicated question of um, not just who was the first but as it starts you start building a timeline of what things were like pre-prohibition and one of the things that struck me was not just that you name joel williams but joel williams is significant for other reasons in Cincinnati's history. I don't know if you wanted to go into that or if you want to tell people, just pick up the book. <laughs> yeah, he, well, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, uh, buy the book. Don't get it at the library. Don't, you know, buy it, pay full price for, for the love of God. But, um, and then buy a copy to give to a friend. Yes, right? makes great gifts for <laughs> Absolutely, any beer I mean, lover in your life. Yeah, just because Easter just passed for yourself, I'm mean, pretty sure I already spilled a beer on mine. <laughs> 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 yeah, Joel Williams really turns out to be this fascinating, tragic kind of figure yeah. in local history. I mean, Joel Williams is this guy who is is kind of a cautionary tale because he should have been richer than God. Mm-hmm. And he just could not stop stepping on himself. And so, uh, you know, those people, uh, they he, he's kind of an archetype. I mean, those people continue to exist. Yeah, I feel like he's a spiritual forebearer for myself. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm deathly allergic to money. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I got a little Joel Williams in me. 
<laughs> but he was one of the he was one of the original founders of the city, was he not? Yes, yeah. He was very he was Ed. very very early. He also probably started the first bar in the city, mm-hmm. first tavern, and I believe started the first brewery and he uh, took off into Butler County to build a distillery in Butler County, which I'm not clear whether that even ever existed or not. But, he teamed uh, up with, uh, with Sims, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Sims owned the, the real estate where the brewery was. So the first, the first brewery, the I think... like, all over the place. Yes, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, this guy was... I mean, there was the Sims, and the guy that owned the brewery was, was the nephew of the Sims that bought this entire area. So, uh, but he still also owned a lot of stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's my, it's my, uh, speculation, my intellectual guess that the first brewing in Cincinnati proper was started by those two guys, Joel Williams and, uh, and, a, and a cat named Sims and probably around about 1803, they were brewing down, unfortunately, for historical purposes, what is today like right under um, right under the interstate across from where you enter the park on the river. Gotcha. It's 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 fascinating to me that for so long everybody's tell, told these stories and nobody's been able to really like to dive in the way that you. How long did it take you to really sit there and get all this research together? Or is this something that you've kind of one way or another been working on for? It's Ever. both. I mean, it, it, I have, starting with the first book and then through the fact that I do, I'm the curator for the Brewing Heritage Trail. Mm-hmm. So that's all actually up in the ground now. It looks fantastic. And I just read an article on gnarlygnome.com about that's right. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it um, um, I have nothing to do with the actual design of the sign. You know, that's FRCH, and those guys did such a beautiful job with that. But I did all of the research writing, you know, did all the text that's on the signs. And um, after a decade or so of research, I thought, okay, I can crank out a book. You know, I'm not, I don't have to do a lot more research. But when I got into it, I wanted to actually do it right. Um, I did, in fact, spend a lot more time mm-hmm. working on it than intended. So, I mean, this book, there's probably f- five solid months of full-time work over the course of eight months or so, combined with about 10 years of existing research. Mm-hmm. So it's a hard thing to uh, quantify, but um, the gist is, is that the only way that I'm even going to remotely make my money back is if all of you, by 18 copies. 18. <laughs> what, what I love about this book that I find very different than anything else that's been written in the past is how much it showcases kind of those parallels between what things mm-hmm. were like in Cincinnati and what things are like in Cincinnati. Not just on the fact that we make a lot of beer and drink a lot of beer and like beer, but the actual like... The, the, the core of the, the people and the breweries and the way the breweries the, the explosion of growth and sometimes the failures and the it, it all parallels exactly what's happening now and it, it makes me excited to see you know without this big prohibition looming ahead that kills it all mm-hmm. 
what can happen after that point for the growth of what Cincinnati beer is going to be. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does. So, so then looking forward, or are we jumping way too far ahead for that no, question? No. But looking forward, what do you see? Because I don't see another prohibition coming down the pike. There's not going to be another prohibition. I mean, I think that um, the, the way that I structured this book, and, you know, there has to be, I mean, a publisher places limitations. This Nobody's going to mm-hmm. read. A, I couldn't afford to take the time to write it. B, nobody's going to want or buy an 800-page mm-hmm. uh, diatribe on Cincinnati beer history. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, you have to make right. choices. <laughs> but um, I, I kind of tried to focus on those things that parallel between then and now. And what you see is that in the 1850s in particular, you had this explosion of technology and changes in beer taste. So we had lager yeast at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the first time where people can make this lighter beer. They can make a whole different spectrum of beers. That's beer. a great chapter, too, trying to dive into where that first lager yeah. happened. <laughs> yeah, which was, uh, but that was, that was awesome. Who, who brewed the first lager is actually harder to answer than who brewed the first commercial beer. Because there were a lot of people that wanted that credit. They wanted that mm-hmm. title after the fact. And nobody does that today. <laughs> right? That never happens. Right. Right. Who right. The f- I won't say right. the word. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, there is never, there is no. not. There, there is, it's always it, very it is clear very, cut. It is very fortunate that there is no time in recent brewing history that anybody has had any kind of squabble of who was the first. To again, do, it just to keeps again. paralleling over and over and over again. Yeah, so, you know, you have this, like, explosion of technology and taste and you have a, a, a then this great rapid growth of breweries and we wind up with really what is too many breweries for the market to sustain at the time and then you start to see this thinning of the herd and uh, some of those breweries that died were probably very good breweries you know there were probably people that could have made great beer but they were outspent and I think that we're going through a very similar thing today, you know, that um, we have a city, and, and when I say a city, we have a region, you right. know, um, we have this broader region where people are making a tremendous amount of spectacular beers, and I think that, that we're right now, uh, you know, not everybody's making gold, but um, as a region, I, I would stack us up against anybody else in America. But some of those people are going to grow, uh, and I, I don't think it's realistic that we don't accept that some of those people are going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I but, hope that, that... Yeah, no, go ahead. Sorry. You talked about how... It's your show. I didn't mean to hijack <laughs> no, no, no. it. It's just what I do. You talked about how, <laughs> at that time, there were probably brewers that were making great beer, had the potential to make great beer that, that didn't survive for lots of different reasons. And that's what is so fascinating to me, watching the places that do fail. It's not always just because they're making crappy beer or because they're mm-hmm. in a bad part of town. Right. Like, it's not the reason for it. It's, it's these other, like, bigger, broader reasons and, and things that are really hard to just understand looking in from the outside that failure is, is not... It's, it's you, you can't just put one thing on it and say this is why this won't last typically Uh, right right yeah i mean sometimes there are reasons as a pure beer drinker when 
blank slate said they were closing their doors. You know, you can you can deconstruct why blank slate closed from a business mm-hmm. standpoint. Correct. As a pure beer drinker, you go, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yep. Those guys are brewing some of the best beer in greater Cincinnati. And they were. But, um, yeah, there are, there are broader forces. I talked to somebody over the weekend that's still hoarding some fork in the road. <laughs> and I said, it's only good for so long. I don't, I don't know if that's going to be good anymore. And he right. goes, don't care. <laughs> don't care. I can't open it. Like that. Yeah. For a collector's item, Sleep sure. With it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for a collector's right. item, sure. But I already wouldn't drink it. But if he wants to put it under his pillow, <laughs> yeah, I'd stroke it at night. Everybody's got their own thing. <laughs> Dude's got his own thing. But that's a fact. Another thing that I thought was really again interesting, kind of about that that parallel. You talked about some of the when you talked about the the, the beer barons and that kind of generation of mm-hmm. what was happening. And how over time we've kind of kind of whitewashed their history and, and made this seem like they were these, you know, really great members of society, which, and then you're very quick to say, well, on one hand they were, but there's also this other side of some of these guys that they weren't necessarily what we've drawn them up to be. And again, I see some of that happening and, and part right. of it's people like me. We, I, you know, if I'm, writing and creating some kind of historical record of what's happening in Cincinnati beer, I'm mostly writing about the good stuff and some of that Mm -hmm. other stuff kind of doesn't get showcased the way that some people think it probably should. I, you know, it's, it's, it it brings up an interesting kind of way to look at it. And and yet there have been things done in the last two to three years that have changed some perceptions within the industry. So, You know, I, I think in the information age that, you know, 100, 150 years from now when somebody's looking back, because I'm going to assume that Cincinnatians are still going to be drinking beer in 100 to 150 years. I mean, it seems to be Everybody's our... Everybody's just going to move to hard seltzer. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you bite your filthy might. tongue. But, they might, and they might put it in their blowhole. <laughs> but, yeah. but regardless, I think if they look back, you're, you're right. I think a lot of this this era will also be kind of whitewashed and the stories of you know the personality clashes let's even right. let's just even right. go with personality clashes we'll probably go to the grave with us our winners our are always heroes regardless yeah you know even if they were dicks <laughs> <laughs> even if they should have been the people who lost mm-hmm. the winners are the heroes because they you know they write the history so, yeah, I mean, to the extent that I could try to, uh, uh, I could try to use the little scraps of what's left to, like, give context to that, I try to do that. But, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the future, the future will tell that the people who made a gazillion dollars did it because they were righteous and fantastic and better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And the people that lost uh, deserved it. Because that's actually comforting to us, right? You know? If you if, <laughs> if you work hard and you succeed, you'll be good, and like it's, right. it's the thing you want to achieve, right? Know? Just give how they. If you're broke, it's because you're not working hard <laughs> enough. So, so you know, buckle up, and uh, I, yeah, I kind of like I kind of like the Game of Thrones approach, though, where I look at some people <laughs> that are getting kicked around, and I'm like, oh, you're getting kicked around because people like you, and you might survive the oncoming white death. <laughs> 
And by white death, I mean the seltzer. <laughs> so the seltzer craze. That's what I mean by the white death. So, <laughs> what were some of the the more fascinating things to you that you either uncovered or really got to dive into that other people haven't got to before? Prohibition was really kind of the funnest aspect of this book for me because fun uh, and prohibition two words that have never been used in the same sentence before <laughs> right <laughs> Babe Ruth did uh, yeah actually a lot of people were having fun during prohibition yeah. it wasn't legal I mean but, he, he's from Newport he knows about fun and the prohibition right I know and, and, and even for other reasons I know about fun and illegal <laughs> it started in high school we'll go back to there <laughs> Prohibition in Cincinnati, that's another one of those things that was always kind of uh, uh, erroneous statement, erroneous assumption about our history, was that when Prohibition hit, breweries started to make near beer, and near beer did well for a while, and the ones that made the, the better near beer, they succeeded, they made money until near beer profits started to flag. What I found is that there is zero evidence of that. <laughs> what I found is that every brewery that didn't immediately go under, give up, or go bankrupt was breaking the law. Was trying to cheat the system. <laughs> yeah. So we, you know, we had this. It's never made sense to me that we have this narrative that Cincinnati who was that was just you know wet as a swamp. Just all of a sudden, okay. Like, yeah. They, you know, they passed the law and they were like, all right, you know, uh, yeah. We're uh, we're gonna we're gonna quit drinking now because uh, yeah. I mean they passed the law against it so uh, all right we give up mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's it it's not true what I thought was interesting too so I you know you, we had heard you know that oh this place or this place was making you know better beer at the time and that the the word that they were using the the better beer um, and yeah, heard good, that. good beer, good yeah, beer, there good you go. Beer. Um, and and in my head, I'm thinking, oh, so it was it was regular beer. It was you know this this full strength. It was it was good beer. And it's like no, it was still kind of low alcohol. You know, four percent. Right. You know, and like it was still kind of like uh, near beer. Yeah, that was good. that was kind of depressing <laughs> and sad that that uh, you know like real beer real for. beer was like three <laughs> percent, which which actually is something that you learn. I mean, that's an important lesson from policy, right? Like, if the federal government, the brewers didn't really freak out about prohibition like they should have, because they thought, you know, we have already reduced the ABV in our beer to somewhere below, I think it was 275. So, you know, they were like, man, this stuff, I mean, you have to drink, you know, you got to drink a case of this to get drunk. So this is not going to be... Uh, considered liquor, you know, this is not going to be considered intoxicating. So breweries, we're not going to make as good a beer as we used to make, but the liquor business will go under, and we will continue to make beer at two seven five percent, and you know, could even be good for us. And quite frankly, if the federal government had done that, if they had been smart enough to define the what that constitutional amendment meant, meant uh, to being. 275 beer or less or 3.2% beer or less prohibition wouldn't have looked like it would have looked right. I mean we would have just probably transitioned into a society where we drank more watery yellow beer 
we might still be we, there. We did eventually. I think. Yeah, we did eventually. <laughs> we did eventually. But, but it, you know, it's it's it's. I think that a lot of breweries at the time also in their head they're thinking, all right, this is some little phase that people are going through. We'll get through this, mm-hmm. and then as long as we can just weather that short storm. We'll come out the other side, and we can go back to, to business as usual. We just have to w- find a way to get through this little period, not understanding that it was going to last, what, 30 years? I mean, that's... 14. Uh, was it 14? 1919 and 1933. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's crazy that as, as a, a city that has, I mean, in a lot of ways built itself on this industry, that this can happen to a place... Well, I mean could happen to a place like this you know it's just it's it's crazy what it did um and very sad it's very sad to read for me it's no fun (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean um, the the number of people that it yeah no it's uh, it it, it was bad policy and the number of people that you have to think that it put out of business overnight you know you own a bar you have it's a small business you Mm -hmm. have put blood sweat and tears into that bar and then one day, uh, there's a vote, and uh, your business is illegal. The, the mean, Cooperages, the the people who, right? Uh, how many mm-hmm. farmers up in you know Butler County and, and and that area are growing grain that's going into beer? That all of a sudden now, hey, by the way, we don't we don't need your grain anymore. Like there's just so many industries around mm-hmm. that that just got annihilated by these fruitcakes that thought alcohol was the root of all evil. It, and right. fortunately, you know, we now live in a society where government isn't that short-sighted and petty. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. We now, we now see the larger uh, scope yeah, and everything. Yeah, they, they, would never, they would never try to make it difficult for the little guy to make a living in this industry at this point right. in time. Right, right. I mean, I th- we're, we're headed straight to like, uh, yeah, I mean, we're clearly going to end uh, prohibition on marijuana, and we're going to spread that out so it's not just like five rich guys in Ohio to make money on it. Uh, no, it'll gonna... be 12. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be great. <laughs> It will eventually happen. If the if if the if, if prohibition showed anything, it's that people will find a way to make it happen one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, it will all even itself out in the end. Just sometimes it takes way longer than it should. Yeah, but even but even with prohibition, you have. I mean, there's a reason why breweries have to have a distributor. Uh, because there was some bad behavior in the 19th century when breweries could sell directly to bars. But there's a lot of people that argue that the distributorship system is one of the, the worst residues of prohibition. And it was really that way that guaranteed that a handful of well-connected, affluent people could make money mm-hmm. uh, doing something that was completely unnecessary. You know, that there was this collection of rich middlemen uh, who could continue to make money, and they weren't needed. You know, you didn't really need a distributor. So, I mean, there's arguments for and against that. I'm not Mm -hmm. straight up attacking distributors. But, but, you know, I don't even know that um, we may still be dealing with the fact that even at the end of Prohibition, Prohibition ended in part because some rich people figured out how some rich people could make some more money on right. it. Saw some other people that were, were, were doing things like, wait a minute. Yeah. We could be doing that. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm also a Kentuckian. So when you talk about distributors, the first thing I think is the three tier system and yeah. how that can be 
beneficial on one hand. Right. And then I look at the other side of it and go, you know, they really screwed Rheingeist when they enacted that and made that a law. And the other thing is it's silly to me that, let's say, Braxton has to send beer to a warehouse so that it can come back and go into a place right across the street. Right. Well, and that's they could the literally thing. walk right. the beer over, but it has to go to the distributor or for 24 hours first. like me that lives in Butler County, if yes. I want to get a hold of... Uh, like more lines beer, it's going all the way up to Dayton to their distributor, sitting in a warehouse, getting on a truck, coming all the way back down to me, even though I can drive two minutes and they are getting well, it. But a you, lot you know that none of them are going to deliver it to your house. <laughs> well, I know you're trying. That is not true. I, no. <laughs> who, who, Amazon, you can get beer right to your house. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, there are, so we could go down a little rabbit hole here. They did there, a pre pro. There are a couple, because of the way the distribu- distribution laws yeah. in Ohio are written, a brewery could deliver to your house. It just has to come. It would have to come from. They can make one delivery from their brewery to you. There's, there's a couple places that I've talked to that are kind of looking into this. To a private residence, they can do that. Yeah, I yeah. thought they had to go still to a commercial enterprise. No, there are a couple loopholes around that. Okay, like well, the, well, milk tr- the milk truck, yeah, beer I, truck. I, I don't want oh, to. That's beautiful. I don't want to dig too deep into it because they're going to get mad at me because they're trying to figure this out. <laughs> but there could be some fun things that are possible. Um, whether or not that loophole will then get closed up quickly thereafter, we'll see. <laughs> I think the I think the the I'm already going to get in trouble. The bigger idea, so like if you are, uh, say you're tailgating down mm-hmm. at you know sure. uh, Paul Brown Stadium or something, to be able to get on and call up your local Why, place what, and what happens at Paul Brown Stadium? Well, <laughs> you need to consume copious amounts of alcohol to deal with whatever happens at Paul Brown Stadium. I didn't, I, I didn't there's, know some people, there's some people that uh, play a sport badly down there. Okay, badly. There we go. That's why I didn't know about it. To be able to have a little truck then come and then bring mm-hmm. you your you know, case of beer, and then there you go. But there, and that, I mean, that was unfair. There are people who come from other cities who play a sport well. <laughs> Um, let's completely switch topics. Let's talk about Bachfest because Bachfest was one of the things that really got me excited about local beer. Good. I was drinking local beer a little bit before that. You know, when I was in college, we were getting Mount Carmel, mm-hmm. um, uh, some, you know, contract brewed, uh, more line stuff and things like that kind of around that era. Mm-hmm. And then um, I heard about this Prohibition Resistance Tour that was going on, and uh, got to see these huge lagering cellars under the city, and my mind was blown. <laughs> and we've gone every single year since, and we get up early on Saturday morning and take our tour and then drink beer all day and pretend like uh, we live in pre-prohibition Cincinnati. Yeah, very <laughs> like cool. It's, it's fantastic. Talk a little bit how you got involved in um, all of that and talk, talk a little bit about Bachfest. I mean, it's not Bachfest season, but you know, mm. it's always box season in Cincinnati in my mind. <laughs> so I started... Uh, <laughs> Tell me everything yeah. about Bachfest and everything... <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the... Uh, you talk so I can drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... You know, the way I got into Bachfest originally, I didn't create it. A lot of people, I created the modern iteration of it. I mean, I made it a three-day festival, and um, 
I did to the parade what what the parade is and I created all the things that come uh, prior to it but uh, it actually started in the 90s and it was this funky fun little festival it was mostly on a Friday evening Barrel House would be open on uh, Saturday and um, I really I would come to Bachfest and I would just get hammered I'd black out and I thought it was fun (laughs) 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 and uh (laughs) So, uh, back in 2005, I want, one of the, the early things with Bachfest is people, the date used to change. That's one of the things I did. It's first weekend of March every single year. The date used to be different every year, and nobody was in charge, and so nobody would agree on when the date was. So, sometimes you just didn't know when Bachfest was going to be somewhere around about February, you know, and it was, <laughs> might be February, might be March, nobody knew. It's like a pop-up event except uh you needed to plan it and get a license and things so i um asked ron at arnold's you know when bach fest was going to be 2006 and she told me that it might not be because barrel house had shut down and those guys had really been taking the lead of running it so i was kind of drunk and i decided that i should run it Uh, i should save it (laughs) because you know it's like a whole um, if you remember that scene from the Blues Brothers where like that uh, where the light the sunlight comes through that turns like James Brown I had that moment you know except and, instead uh, of James Brown since in Cincy it was Bootsy it was Bootsy yeah, <laughs> yeah. right right. Bootsy shined a light on me and, yeah. uh, so I uh, that first year I, I ran a parade and I uh, had no idea what I was doing um but uh, and it was not. I mean, Bachfest 2006 was not any spectacular event, but it existed, and um, so I then started running it for the following ten years. And my goal was to turn Bachfest into Cincinnati's Mardi Gras, which meant more than just. I don't just mean you know people get hammered in the street because we do that already. I mean, we, we do that any day of the week. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to turn it into something that really celebrated, you know, our history, our culture as a city, and also something that sort of like Mardi Gras, you know, it starts about a month in advance. And you build up to it, and you've got a lot of weirdness. And uh, there's a lot of, uh, so you can still, in, in Bachfest as it now exists, you can see a lot of New Orleans in it, and you can see a lot of uh, my New Orleanian drunken inspiration in it. <laughs> um, and when I happen to go, I've actually never been to Mardi Gras in New Orleans, but uh, I've been to the, uh, there's a parade called Cru de Vue that goes through, it's the only one that goes through the French Quarter, and it's like a pre-Mardi Gras parade. Or it's before what most people... It's before Mardi Gras where a lot of college students puke. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't even know that I was there for Cru de Vue. And I'm standing on the street corner in New Orleans. I'm drinking a beer. And this float just starts rolling up the street. This float, a bunch of noise. This float has these two big, huge paper mache breasts on the front of it. And people are throwing condoms uh, off this float. And everybody is drunk. And I stood there on the street corner 
and said, that is what I want. You know, that's the par- that's what I want for the city of Cincinnati. Oh, and, I want that uh, thing to roll around Covington every day. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, my inspiration for the parade was uh, just to get as weird, crazy as it could possibly get. And then uh, the Sausage Queen competition is actually based on, you know, which runs for a month up to Bachfest, and it's not quite what it used to be. But especially early days, the idea of that is that uh, it is based on in like Mobile and New Orleans, you have these kings and queens of Mardi Gras, and it's a very prestigious, important kind of position. So what I wanted to do was turn that on its head, and that here in Cincinnati, our dive bars, you know, would have their gender-neutral sausage queens. So it was a, there's a lot of uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek New Orleans-based stuff to Mardi Gras, but it was all also about making a, a festival that was entirely a Cincinnati kind of thing, you know, that Cincinnatians would, would love and make their own. Well, and, you know, I, I love Oktoberfest, and I think it's a great festival in Cincinnati and um, definitely something that everybody should go to, but Oktoberfest is, like, it happens very quickly. These big mm-hmm. tents go up, everything mm-hmm. shuts down, everybody drinks, there's lots of commercial beer, it's very... Very uh, commercial is a good word for it. Yes, and it's like every other. And then it shuts down and it's gone, and you you don't see anything else about it. And Bachfest is like the the punk Oktoberfest to me. Like you, (laughs) like it's just like it's. It feels a little bit like Oktoberfest, but just completely off the wall and completely counter to all of that side of it like yes you're drinking some really great traditional german style beer but it's bach which nobody knows what the hell bach is when you talk to him and then you try to talk about the historian oh, the, the you know the monk getting knocked off the stool like there's just this 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 crazy stupid story around it like it's all just so fantastic i love it and then yeah. you know you when you're walking around the you're getting your tour of the Morline brewery you, you see that goat in the corner the big you know <laughs> the barrel house goat and you're like, like, what is that yeah. And it just you know, any time of year, it just starts that conversation, and just you know, it's this 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 little piece of like the soul of what Cincinnati beer is. You know, it's I, I love it, absolutely love it. Good, good. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got a really we've got a couple really great Bachfest episodes that we um, I'll, I'll probably put the links on the show notes if I remember. Um, we were down at Moreline for one for a couple of them. Uh, we did one kind of leading up to Bachfest, drank a few of the Bachs around town, and then we did one from Bachfest, and um, that was chaotic and fun, too. There's some really yeah. fun stuff. I'll put those up. And, and that's more my favorite thing is to sample the different box because there's a lot of different oh takes God. on them. Oh, and it just and gets better and better. Yeah, and, you know, five years ago, how many were there versus now when pretty much every Cincinnati brewery does one because, by God, it's Bachfest and it's Cincinnati. right. right. Or some some version there, right? Uh, yeah, every yeah. like I said, there's a lot of different takes on it, and I think that's right. what that's intrigues fun. me more mm-hmm. is how are you going to present this, and not everybody's that was doing the, the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm work. I'm, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it now. But at a <laughs> at a not to uh, at a not too future date, um, I I would be happy to uh, drink. Some, I would love to drink some beers with you guys again. And talk about the uh, new festival that I'm starting, actually, Ooh. which is going to be, which is going to be pretty bitching. Can you give fair. us a hint at a time of year that this would uh, be? It's going to be early June, where the weather's better. Mm. I like this idea. 
Yeah, we'll we'll be in touch. <laughs> <laughs> what are the things about what's happening in Cincinnati right now that gets? We know you get excited about the history of what Cincinnati beer was, but what gets you excited about what's going on now? What, what's well, I mean, the fact that we are living in a period of time where the beer has never been better. Uh, that's fantastic. And, um, you know, I go back and forth in terms of uh, my fear and negativity versus my hope for what the future of beer looks like in this city. Um, because there is a way that we can, we can move into a model and we can move into a place as a society where we are drinking a lot more neighborhood beers. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that ultimately, if everybody's trying to be the next Rheingeist, they're not. Uh, and, and inevitably, one way or the other, some breweries are just going to prove themselves either not capable of the business uh, or, or not that good. But we have a possible future where we have a great brewery in virtually every neighborhood. That's what gets me. Excited. And that's pretty. That's that's a pretty. That's, that's a pretty sweet future, man. It will happen. I just. I, hope so. I don't know. I was out at. So we're recording this for all you time travelers out there. We're recording this the day after Easter. So yesterday I was out in Boone County at my parents' house, and it's the same yeah. thing. Where I look at that and go, "There's still not a tap room in Boone County." Right. And Florence is. 30,000 people and Hebron's grown exponentially from when I was a kid and you know all the cattle are gone now there's actually people in Hebron (laughs) and it's just so I'm looking at this going couple of them look like cattle (laughs) you leave my cousins out of this now where what I but that's what I can't get my head around is that a place like Boone County has room for I think two to three tap rooms yeah. in the oh, county. I think you're right. Sustainable. Yeah. They're not going to be Rheingeist. Right. But they can be fretboard. They can, they they can, can be, be a successful local brewery. Yes. Because the, because the equipment, you can do that now with the equipment. I mean, that's actually one of the things, one of the things that I think is, is scary when you look at the 1850s is you have this explosion of technology and you have way too many breweries. But actually, we still wound up with way more breweries than we had. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've had the same kind of technological thing now. It's not just a change that people have woken up to good beer. Mm-hmm. It's that 15, 20 years ago, I mean, like, when Moorline first opened up, uh, getting equipment for a brewery of that size was way more difficult than it is now. Sure. And the cost effectiveness to do... You know, a small-scale brewery, even a nano brewery. I mean, it was it would have been crazy talk to do a nano brewery, right. but you can do that now. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the market, and uh, th- this large number of breweries has created de- a demand for that equipment. So, you know, we can do it. I mean, hell, there might be a brewery in the back of the drinkery here. <laughs> I mean, a couple that's years ago. <laughs> that's the way I think. Like I think about these bars that are they're pouring all of this beer that I love, mm-hmm. and it's like if I'm one of these guys, I'm in the back of my head, I'm thinking like, look. If I got a guy that makes really good beer, why am I not doing this? Why am I not creating the new neighborhood brewery? Why am I not doing, like, I think you're going to see a lot of that still. I think we're not even, we're and not I, even scratching the surface. Well, and, and I got to see um, Carla over the, the from Cincy State, uh-huh. the brew program, over the weekend. And so 
your chances of getting somebody that's got some some experience are greater now than they right. were five years ago right. because they're turning out people who have had a chance to play on industrial equipment, let alone whatever homebrew they've done and whatever other experiences they have. So that makes it a viable option for some place like the drinkery to say, you know what, maybe it's not full time, but it's a chance to professionally brew beer on a small system. And here you go. And now the drinkery can have, you know, three or four beers on tap. And right. I'm just throwing that out there because we're here. I'm not suggesting right. to anybody right. before you run with that rumor. Yeah. It's nice. <laughs> I heard it's it. Just, I, I heard somebody talking about it. <laughs> me too. It must be true. So, uh, but, you know, don't believe me. I believe all my own bullshit. But just as an example. And you're right. I, I think that there's a lot of possibilities for that. Um, and looking at Hebron again. There was a place out there called the Hebron Brew House, and there's something right now. Their their doors are locked, but they say they're reopening, and that would be a prime example of a place that could pull that off. You already named the brew house. You're already kind of known for having whatever well, kind of. I, th- I think at one time beer. they talked about doing that. Right. It was, and, I mean, it's been a few years, but, but yeah, and, and they they did some other things instead. But th- you know, it's just an idea. If anybody out there is looking to do this, but <laughs> you know, I I think that that is. A sustainable model and can be done a hundred times over in this city but you do have to start to um, I mean I, I think a couple of, of cautions to that and one is sure. that even I mean the equipment is still expensive and I have been to some bad local breweries lately um, not I'm not necessarily saying in greater Cincinnati but uh, you know as I try <laughs> as I as I travel uh, yeah, you know, we're I, looking I, at you, Indiana. Uh, <laughs> right, right. You know, there. I, I have been to some breweries where they're not getting fundamentals right, and I, I think you're right. The programs like what Carl is doing at Cincinnati State. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're. It's more than just your home brewer. Yes. Getting some. Yeah. Uh, getting a little better, trying to go to a commercial system. That there are people that are getting the education they need. Mm-hmm. So that's a start, but you still have to. I mean, I am from, um, and no actual offense to, to Hebron, I, I made that joke because I'm from Adams County, which okay. is uh, a far step down from uh, Hebron and the evolutionary ladder. Yeah, but in 20 years, it probably will be where Hebron is now. If it does, maybe. It's I also doubt. a dry county, isn't it? Um, well, actually, I'm from Manchester, which is the only wet part of that dry county, which is part of what uh, made me me. <laughs> I grew up in this. T- I grew up in this very small town that was full of bars and liquor stores, because <laughs> it's the only place you could get liquor for like fifty miles. But uh, you know, it. I have found from research that Ripley used to have two breweries in it, Maysville, Kentucky, really the birthplace of bourbon. Those guys had uh, a couple of breweries there, mm-hmm. but today, you know, you're you're going to be pretty hard pressed to sell anything that is not a mass brewed light beer in that region. And I I suspect that Hebron's the same thing. So, you know, can and will a lot of rural America wake up to good beer? It's certainly possible, and I hope so. I think so. But they're going to have to. There's going to be a change in taste. I- I look at a place, though, like Beerkus in Ludlow. Yeah. And I love those guys. Well, I was down there Saturday, and uh, if a place like Beerkus can go over in Ludlow, which is a very old-school, very traditional kind of place, 
right? I mean, they haven't had a lot of change. They've had a few businesses open, but there's not been a lot of change in that city and not a lot of new development in that city. If they can make a go of it selling craft beer, now granted, Ludlow Light sells, you know, as well as anything they have, but they also have some really good beers that are mm-hmm. that they're putting out that are selling and they're craft also beer not, people are. They're also coming. not that far away from Cincinnati. Like it's fair. You can, you can That's take, fair. You can take a little day trip over there. Oh yeah, we, well <laughs> they're they're urbanish, but yeah. yeah. But I, I look more at places like uh, Sons of Toil and seeing what they're yes. doing out there. Okay. And, 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 Holy and God, they're doing good beer. And fair. it's like the fact that that is sustainable. It's shown itself that it's sustainable uh, for now. I mean, right. who knows? But you know, and it's really good beer, and I see that happening. Like this doesn't have to be what it is here like you don't mm-hmm. have to be as good as you are and yet this is what this has become and this is what people are coming here to you know to to enjoy like it's it's fun to watch i just it's exciting i uh and that, I, i'm with you and, and that sons of toil man i mean some friends took me out there a few weeks ago and uh said hey we want to check out this new brewery in mount orb and I'm like, uh, all right, uh, there is exactly 0% <laughs> chance that that's good. <laughs> right. And, uh, oh, my God, they're making really good beers. Yeah. So, yeah, they're making good beers, and they were doing good business. And, you know, they're in Mount Orb, and and, uh, and people are getting it. You know, they have a, a community around they're, them. They're probably getting all those people from Adams County driving in. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, well, gentlemen, that's that's a show. Um, I cannot tell people loud enough to go buy this book. Um, and I'm probably going to have a post written about it by the time this episode comes out to you because I'm just I'm all about this. Um, I'm probably going to read it two or three more times. Yeah, I, I have started. <laughs> I have not finished the book yet. It's so. uh, it's fantastic, and it it really does take an entirely different approach to everything and, and a deeper dive into a lot of stuff. And we we only scratch the surface of the stuff that's in here. You start talking about the the stories with uh, the John Walker Brewery alone, like the stuff that it just blows my mind the the amount of detail in here. So. And, and it's an easy read. Yeah, and I, I'm looking very much so forward to the chapter about the urban artifact and the the beer that the historic yeah. beer that they did, which we didn't even it's a mention. Fun story. But yeah, it's the, a great story, and it's very them, and I think it's very us as a beer culture now. Yeah, there's, so there's some really cool stuff in there. So thank you for writing this for the geeks yeah. like me and the people that Absolutely. are soon to be geeks. Um, I think that's what. Um, gets me even more excited the people that can get into all of this um the the history side of it just from, from things like this so hey it was fun much. i love you guys uh i love what you're doing and uh thank you for having me on oh man. thank you very much and we uh there's always an open invitation and uh, we'll definitely be talking again i i actually i should probably talk about it since we're talking about the I've got plans for next year's Bachfest. I haven't told anybody yet, and I haven't really worked out the details. But I want to want to brewcast from a float in the parade. I think that's an excellent idea. I don't idea. think anybody's done that before. I, yeah. uh, Lister, Listerman used to do it actually, and, but it was really cool. So you should do it. You I, should pick up the mantle. I need to do a yeah. a podcast from well, a float. And if do if a pod, Lister- do a podcast while you brew a beer, nobody has done that definitely <laughs> ever. That's actually absolutely <laughs> awesome. If, if Listerman used to do it, then we should get monocles as <laughs> yes, well. Yes, monocles and yes. spenders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> well, guys, thank you very much. We um, 
next I'm, I should always look ahead of time so I know what next week's show is do you know what I'm talking Yes, next we're week gonna we're going to talk to West. We're going to talk to Dell yeah. and make sure he's still alive, alive and healthy. Yeah. And we're going to talk about 50 West expanding into all reaches of Ohio with brew pubs and things. Yes. And I've heard some, I don't think, I, yeah, I don't think they'll we, talk about their rumors, but there's some fun stuff. I was going to say we talked about it, but anyway. <laughs> Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. <laughs>